1947 episode, we have a very interesting year to discuss. Down in Geelong, many, many interesting things are happening. Jack Dyer does his best to motivate Richmond. Will Collingwood's last quarter fade-outs occur again this season? And could Jock McHale's position as coach be under jeopardy? Uh, Fred Fanning puts on a bit of a clinic in his final game as a demon. All that and more coming up after the song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast for the year 1947. This is the Australian Rules Football History podcast. It takes a deep dive into the history of the league. We have no qualifications to bring you this show other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to really relive the past, and I've got a pretty big bookshelf. Kaz, you're there on my left. Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, Charlie, you're opposite me. Hi there. And my name's Tim. Hi, Tim. Um, Moz isn't with us today. She'll, uh, she'll chime in later for the Brownlow Downlow. Uh, but good to have you here, boys, for yeah. uh, 47. Our, nice to be together. Um, I'd like to say a quick hello to uh, listeners from the states of Missouri and Virginia. We've had 54 downloads in the last few weeks over there. I don't know what. We're oh. going gangbusters. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I maybe, like maybe that. Maybe they get us over there. We could do a live episode yeah. oh, when, live, when travel much. comes back. <laughs> from, uh, yeah, from where? That'd be great. Mm, I'd love oh, that. God. Thanks very much. I, I can't wait. <laughs> I'd also like to give a shout out to Robert Rice, who has compiled a whole heap of um, tribunal records and sent them to me. So oh, we, that's awesome. We uh, now have a bit more detailed tribunal oh, records that. for each year that we can kind of refer to. That is so cool. Yeah. Love that. So yeah. Big, big, Good on you, Rob. Yeah. Um, so, Charlie, let's get to some news first for the year. Um, now, the hit song for 1947 was, well, I found one called Smoke, Smoke, Smoke That Cigarette which was by Tex Williams in the Western Caravan. Um, but listening to it, it doesn't, it doesn't go very well underneath um, what you'll oh, be saying. Okay, so okay. Uh, a, bit, a bit better one will be uh, Frank Sinatra and Tex with Benneke. Oh, lovely. But I, I do enjoy the idea of smoke, smoke, smoke that it's, cigarette. It's a spoken though. word. It's like smoke, smoke, smoke that cigarette. Yeah, it's gonna, yeah. yeah that, that'll screw everything Look it up. up. All right, some news. Some news, some events, some births. In 1947, people were born, things happened. Good, and I, you've got a, a I've got good a special one, one. I've got a special one for you, Timmy, and you'll yes. know it when it comes. Excellent. A little Easter egg birth for you. <laughs> uh, so, the events of 1947. On the 16th of January, Vincent Auriol was inaugurated as President of France. Mm. On the 25th of January, a plane from the Philippines crashed in Hong Kong. Not sure where with $5 million worth of golden money at the time. Nice little treasure plane. Yeah. Uh, on the 30th of January, all the way through to the 8th of February, a heavy blizzard in Canada buried entire towns from Winnipeg to Calgary. Wow. Yeah, massive. Uh, on the 10th of Feb, in Paris, treaties were signed between the World War II allies and um, a few of the Axis powers. Just to consolidate... Console, yeah, to, just to you know, make sure it was all done. Yep. Part of this was Italy ceded most of Istria to the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia, which later became Croatia. Ah, yeah. old Istria. <laughs> yeah, classic Istria. Um, on the 20th of February, a V-2 rocket from the US Army 
the Blossom 1 was launched into space carrying plant material and fruit flies. Fruit flies. the first instance of animals being sent into space. Wow. Yeah. Of all animals, fruit flies. I know. I always thought it was Laika the dog, the Russian Mm. cosmonaut. But no, fruit flies. There you go. Uh, The very next day on February 21st, Edwin Land in New York uh, demonstrated the very first instant camera, his Polaroid Land camera. Uh, Yeah. On the 25th of Feb, John Hennessy Jr. brought the first Volkswagen Beetle to the United States. So he picked it up uh, the year before at a U.S. Army post exchange in Frankfurt and shipped it across the sea. That's cool. Well, I mean, it's a classic. Yeah, well, now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, at the time, not so much. Check out my new car. Uh, On the 12th of March, the Truman, Truman Doctrine was proclaimed to help spread, stem the spread of communism. And on the 19th of March, the 19th Academy Awards were held. Uh, the movie The Best Years of Our Lives won the Academy Award for Best Picture. I haven't seen it. Uh, no. It is all about three returned servicemen readjusting after coming home. Ah, oh, I see. Oh. Which is quite soon after the war, unless it's talking about the First World War, but I haven't seen it either. Mm. Uh, on the 1st of April, a bit of sports news, Jackie Robinson... The baseball... Mm, signed a contract with the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, so, yeah, first first African-American in Major League Baseball since the 1880s. Wow. So I don't know what 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 happened there. They were playing and then they stopped. Uh, he then played his first game on the 15th of April. Okay. On the 2nd of May, now this is a funny one, the movie The Miracle on 34th Street was first shown in theatres. That's a Christmas classic oh, movie, okay. right? Yeah. You know, you know it. Oh, no, yeah, I know it. I've never yeah. seen it. It's a Christmas classic. It was. It was for, first came out on the second of May. Weird. Anyway. Really? Yeah. A Christmas movie in May. Yeah. I was just getting a head start. Yeah, just really. Yeah, just getting it all in. On the eleventh of May, the Ferrari one two five S was debuted. It is the first car to bear the name Ferrari. Ooh. Uh, on the twenty second of May, nineteen forty seven. The official beginning of the Cold War. Oh, what what kicked it off? So, uh, Harry S. Truman signed the tru- the Act of Congress that implemented the Truman Doctrine that we mentioned just before that came up on the twelfth of March. Okay, this act granted four hundred million dollars in military and economic aid to Turkey and Greece at this time. So, so it was all about yeah the domino effect, giving wasn't it? giving trying to push out um, not Americanism but I guess you know just democratic their way of thinking and making sure other countries took it up so the Soviets couldn't get in and take over. Yeah, the Korean War hasn't kicked off yet, has no, it? No, no, not, not quite, no. Uh, and in the, at the beginning of June, the doomsday clock of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists was first introduced. <laughs> oh, really? That, yeah, okay. that long ago. On the 25th of June, The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank was published for the very first time. Never read it. No, neither. Mm. Um so she died two years before in the concentration camps. Yes. Um, on the 9th of July, King George VI announced the engagement of his daughter, Princess Elizabeth, to Lieutenant Philip Mountbatten. Oh, ah. that, that Greek. Yeah, the old Greek. Uh, on the 4th of November, Haraji won the Melbourne Cup. On the 13th of November, in more sports news, uh, Wataru Masaka made the roster of the New York Knicks and became the first person of colour to play in modern professional basketball. The same year as Jackie Robinson? Same year, just months after Jackie Robinson. So 
He broke it in baseball. Waturu Masaka broke it in basketball. Masaka had led the Utah Utes to the 1944 NCAA and 1947 NIT championships. The Utes. The Utes, yeah. So, like a like a Ute, like a utility vehicle. I, I don't think so. <laughs> no. No. Um, but there you go. So the first person of color to play in the NBA wasn't African American. He was Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. But he was massive. Uh, on the 20th of November, Princess Elizabeth and uh, the the new Duke of Edinburgh married at Westminster Abbey. On the how long after being engaged? That's a short engagement. See, yeah, no, it is very short. Three months. Wow. June to well, July to November. Yeah. Now I haven't seen the Crown. Have you seen the Crown? I have seen the Crown. Because they, they, she goes to Greece at some stage, doesn't she? Yes, With they him. go to no, they go to Malta. They live in Malta okay. for a while after, after they get after married. They get married. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, on the 3rd of December, the Tennessee Williams play A Streetcar Named Desire uh, first opened at the Ethel Barrymore Theatre on Broadway. Mm. This is Marlon Brando's first great role. Marlon Brando. Yeah, at this time. Yeah. And Jessica Tandy also starred as Blanche. Nice. Uh, on the 6th of December, women were admitted to full membership of the University of Cambridge in England. It's quite late, I thought. Yeah. And on the 30th of December, Mourner took line honours and Westwood won on handicap in the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. Hmm, okay, there you go. good. Ready for, to hear who was born? All right, yep. Give me, some, give me it. Okay. So you'll, you'll know it when it comes to you, but there's a couple here you'll love. Okay. Uh, 8th of January, David Bowie. Mm, nice. Uh, 2nd of Feb, Farrah Fawcett. March the 6th, Rob Reiner. Okay. Yeah, classic. Yep. Uh, the 12th of March, Mitt Romney, who's run for president a couple of times yes. and you know, is very vocal in his not liking of Trump, <laughs> one of yes. the only Republicans to properly come out against him. Uh, March 25th, Elton John. Yep. On the 12th of April, both Tom Clancy, the author, and David Letterman, the talk show host, were mm. born. On the 16th of April, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was born. Now, you love all these guys, but this isn't there. I'm not, no, I haven't no, talked no. about it yet, yeah. On um, the 21st of April, Iggy Pop. Yeah. On the 19th of June, Salman Rushdie. Yep. On the 24th of June, Mick Fleetwood. Now, on the 2nd of July, Tim. Yes, here we got. Larry David. Larry David. The American actor, writer, producer and director. She's funny, it's, it's the same year as Salman Rushdie because I've just watched season nine where, like, where they they're both in it. They're in it together. <laughs> That's so funny. I've curbed. So there you go, Salmon, Larry David. Salmon Rushdie. Salmon? Salmon? Salmon. Salmon. <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the show. Is it? Great. Uh, on the 16th of July, the uh, now unfortunately disgraced, well, not unfortunately, he did everything, Don Burke, yeah, yeah. the uh, television presenter, uh, producer, author, and horticulturalist. <laughs> uh, on the 28th of July, Sir Peter Cosgrove, the, who was the chief of the uh, Australian Defence Force he and then born. Governor General, was born. Yeah. yeah. On the... Th- 30th of July, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnie. On the 14th of September, Sam Neill, the great New Zealand-born Is he that old? Actor. Yeah, I know, right? And on September 21st, Stephen King. Nice. The writer. So there you go. So interestingly there, I thought that there was a bit of a connection there. Stephen King was born that year. Rob Reiner was born that year. Rob Reiner would then go on to direct Stephen King's book stand, the body stand by me mm. later on in his career so there you go good all right to some league news kaz league news because it's football season and that's the reason it's the time of the 
Um, so round seven, the VFL broke its one-day attendance record. Most people that it had in a like gate receipts, like most people at the games. Yeah. Uh, round ten, for the first time since the twelve-team competition started, all the away sides won on the same day. <laughs> this wouldn't this wouldn't happen again until 1978 round 20. <laughs> so it's quite a rare feat. A bookie's nightmare. That oh, one. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, this year also saw the accident fund for players adopted by the Footballers Union. Oh. Um, at the end of the year as well, the VFL considered sending a league team to play games in the United States mm. because they heard that someone was playing games at, sc- at a school in Pennsylvania. Oh, fantastic. Maybe, uh, maybe Yank on the Footy could tell us more about that. Yes, please. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Um, so w- what I was thinking is that we've got the start uh, after World War Two. It really f- starting to feel more like the the modern game. It's more professional, even more professional. Yeah, is that a fair thing to say? It's getting towards. There. I mean, we're still you know a good forty, fifty years off full time pay yeah, and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, it's in our lifetime, Kaz, and probably the nineties mm. where players transitioned from part time mm. footballers to full time footballers. So. Yeah. Yeah, but it's definitely popularity-wise, it's picking up in that regard. Do you think um, some of the... Uh, I was going to say with uh, Yank on the footy, do you think it could have been um, from some of the uh, people who were stationed over uh, in the US, maybe travelling oh, around because yeah, of the no world? Doubt. No doubt. Mm. Um, that's probably how the game got over there. Mm. Um, the other... Only, I don't know, just two other interesting things. Um, it was announced in September that Dan Minogue, we know five uh, coaching five different teams or had been at five different teams, accepted mm. a position as a player's advocate on the tribunal. Mm. So he would be acting for the players and supporting them during tribunal hearings. Mm. I feel like he's the right man for the job. Mm, well, he's, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And finally, 1946 was, um, we saw another football carnival, the 10th ANFC carnival held in Hobart. Oh, it's back. It was. It was held from July 30 to August 9. It expanded to seven teams. Two sections. Cool. Section A was uh, South Australia, the VFL or Victoria, and Western Australia. And we also had in the B division Tasmania, New South Wales, Queensland, and Canberra taking part. Oh, wonderful. Back to the real business of footy, mm. going against the states. Um, ultimately, Victoria won Division A. They beat South Australia by 76 points in the final game. Oh. But they also suffered their very first loss since 1921. They got knocked off by Western Australia in, uh, in oh. some of the game, one of the games. Oh. Uh, and Tasmania won the Section B final. Oh, excellent. Yeah. yeah. Good spread there. Yeah. So uh, let's get to our first team. Let's, go, let's work up the ladder, Kaz. So in 12th place, St Kilda with one win, one, lo- uh, one draw, and 17 losses, so 58.7%. Uh, so, captain coached again this year by Alan Hurd. St Kilda's lead goal kicker was Peter Bennett with just 37. Yeah. Um, it was not a very good year at St Kilda, was it? No. Did have some good um, good debutants though, Kaz. Yeah. Bill Stamps, <laughs> Gordon Ramsay's playing for St Kilda. Oh, good on him. Um, John Curtin, as well. Harold Shedlick, Bruce Phillips. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, there's quite some there's some big names who play. Some very famous people who decide to play Australian rules football this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, round one was a big loss to the Dogs. Um, it was made even worse by uh, the the report and suspension of Stan Lelivre. Uh, who was suspended for 12 matches for hacking, which means kicking. Yeah. Yeah. Just like mm-hmm. a hacking of the shins, right? Yeah. That's basically, yeah. Uh, 12 weeks is a big punishment as well. Um, hopes were stirred for St Kilda, though, in uh, round two. They had a stirring win over North Melbourne with a goal scored in the last two minutes, which gave St Kilda a two-point win. 
Um, the game, however, was not of a high standard, and the interest of spectators was re- retained only because scores were close. No, um, you're, you're telling me that a game between 12th and 10th wasn't <laughs> of a high standard? I'm I am. shocked. St Kilda's success was due chiefly to the effective play of their small men and the poor kicking by North's big men. In the last 10 minutes, a stacked North Melbourne defence kept St Kilda out until the unguarded Rosewarn walked into an open goal. In round three, they pushed the reigning premiers, the Bombers, um, all the way. They only went down by 11 points. That's right, they did. Um, also in this game, uh, the umpire had to hold up play as a small dog entered the field and chased the ball around until Bombers back uh, Ruckman Bluey McClure lunged and caught the dog. Um but the season would have no more highlights for St Kilda. <laughs> Their biggest highlight is a small dog running <laughs> yeah, on the field. Much. I love it. Um, as a result of Carlton's 103-point thumping of St Kilda in round six, they would begin what would be the next 33 rounds in last place. Oh, my God, really? So they just stayed there? Yep, this is the longest such streak that exists. One week longer than university. Yeah. Oh, wow, I love that. Mm. Get university off the bottom of the ladder. I mean, uh, they still hold the consecutive losses record, yeah, but, but still, that's great. For that long, yeah. Um, I like how you said there, there are no more highlights for St Kilda. There are a lot of highlights for other teams against St Kilda there this are. year, though. I yeah. do have a few more things about St Kilda. They deserve to beat Footscray in round 12. Uh, they were leading by two points with 10 minutes to play. Uh, couldn't score themselves, and the dogs got two points. So it was a draw. Ah, lovely. Um, it was a, a long season. Um, <laughs> they did have a sense of humour, however. Uh, in mid-July, St Kilda officials declare that their team is the best in the league. Here's why. Because St Kilda defeated North Melbourne, who then North Melbourne defeated South Melbourne. <laughs> South, in turn, defeated Carlton, who were on top of the ladder. So logic would have it that they are the best team. That's absolutely how it works. Uh, this logic was not endorsed by other clubs, though. <laughs> but there was much satisfaction at St Kilda during the week following the tie game at Footscray. Um, St Kilda had some young, good young players and needed a bit more backing to bring their list to a higher level next year. Um, but yeah, round 17, they gave little challenge to Carlton. In fact, they were hold goalless for the first half. Peter Bennett finally broke their duck in the third quarter and would go on to kick all three of their team's goals. And mm-hmm. after the last match, Alan Hurd resigned his post. Um, and somehow the social committee, well, that actually doesn't surprise me, the social committee that year raised more money for the club than the entire season's gate. <laughs> That's pretty... It's pretty good for the social committee to be able to pull people together and raise money for a team that's playing that badly. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. At least they're used to it, right? So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> yeah, that's how you can joke about it when your club's doing so terribly. Because if you don't laugh, you cry. Yeah. Basically. And the other teams like having them around to give them a, a beating to boost their own <laughs> Is that not why St Kilda's in the league in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> that's why they came. Yeah. That and the junction. <laughs> they're not going to go the way of university. They're going to stick around. We, we, we love you guys. Next 10 uh, 11th Hawthorne with four wins, three more than St Kilda, uh, 15 losses, percentage 76.4%. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, captain coached by um, Alec Alberston again. The lead goal kicker this year was uh, Butch Pryor with 67. So, um, quite a high goal kicker, goal yeah. kicking. Um, total the for, high, the for highest hawk since 1934. Yeah. Jack Green. Um, now, Alberson was their captain last year, but not their coach. Sorry, yes. Yeah, because yep. Keith Shea was sacked by Hawthorne at the end of last season. Um, three players applied for the role of captain coach, them being Jim Bowen, Alec Alberston, and Jack Blackman. Um, and after much deliberation, Alberston was given the nod. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, now, some debutantes. Like, these are some good ones as well, Kaz. Len Wolf, 
<laughs> and Cash Fitzgerald. I love that. Oh, I love Cash. that so much. <laughs> um, that lens, it's only one, what, vowel away from Lone Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, what, that's the way I thought of that. <laughs> um, now, Elberston set about implementing a bit of a play-on style of football that would become the norm for the club in the future. But the season started with three heavy losses to Geelong, Collingwood and Footscray. They finally opened their account in round four with a hard-fought win over St Kilda. Um, yep, kicking with the aid of the breeze, the Hawks landed on six goals to two to come from behind for a seven-point triumph. But, I mean, beating St Kilda's no... No. Everyone does it. Yeah. Round five against Richmond with their ruckman hurt. Hawthorne piled on seven goals in the first final term to win by 38 points. Now, did you hear the story about the, of how the ruckman got hurt? Is this... Yeah, I think, I'll, I think this is more of a Richmond story than a Hawthorne story. But tell me. Oh, sorry, you're absolutely right. It is. Yeah, so let's, uh, it let's is. bring it up. The Richmond Ruckman is hurt. So yeah. the Hawthorne Ruckman got hurt as well. Ah. Is no. that what you said? No, I said the uh, against Richmond. With their, their, their Ruckman. Oh, sorry, with yeah. Richmond's was it Ruckman face? hurt. No, yeah. oh, it wasn't. I wouldn't yeah. imagine he would hurt yeah. anybody. Um, yeah. So after round five, predictably, the club went to sleep, winning just one of their next nine encounters, which was a thrilling four point victory over North Melbourne at Glenferry. Uh, but the side was struggling for targets up forward, apart from um, Butch Pryor. There was no one else. Oh, sounds um, like it. Their final victory of 47 was an easy win over the Saints, the only team who finished below them. Uh, and then they had a four-point loss in the return bout. It was the Shinboners at Arden Street. Mm. So, yeah, a lean year at Hawthorne again. Again. Mm. We don't mind that. Um, and the team we mentioned, North Melbourne, in 10th place, four wins, 15 losses. Percentage, 77.7. Yes, the Shinboners. So, captain this year by uh, Kevin Dynan, coached by Bob McCaskill. Their lead goal kicker was Sid Dyer with 47. 47 in 47. Yeah, eh? nice. All right, here's some more debutants. Jock Lennon. <laughs> George Cocken. Frank Jeeves. Graham Dunscombe and Jim Cool. Jeeves. Send me the football, please. <laughs> Jock Lennon is he's one of the greats. Well, it's Jock Lennon, L-I-N-E-E-N. So oh, it might be Lennon, but still, Jock Lennon. Yeah. Definitely his mates would have called him that, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, now, the most exciting win for North Melbourne, we'll go straight to, was round six. Mm, yeah. North Melbourne trailing Essendon by 44 points at three-quarter time. Essendon reigning premiers. Yeah, I mean, that's the end. Game over. North Melbourne captain Les Foote was moved into the ruck and almost single-handedly led this comeback, which ended in an eight-point victory for North Melbourne. The combination of perfect coordination and team play on the forward line by Foote, Walsh, Kennedy and Carroll had the S and the backs rattled. So do we know? Do we have any more detail about how Foote single-handedly led this comeback? Was it just his brilliant tap work? Did he kick a couple of goals? Um, do we know? No. No, okay. No, just, that's why I was asking. Just you know, uh, maybe it was fresh legs in the rough. Yeah. yeah. The paralysing finish of North Melbourne kept Essendon scoreless in the final term. In fact, the ball only passed the centre line in Essendon's favour twice. Really? Yeah. That is a drubbing. So North went on to win 102 to 94. That's amazing. That yeah. would have been great to watch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, actually... Not for you, but no, for the rest for of us, it would have been fantastic. <laughs> well, today is actually the 19th anniversary of Essendon's big comeback win against North Melbourne. Ah, yeah. So somewhere. Uh, yeah, so North Melbourne slammed on, what was that, eight goals, four to nothing in the last quarter. That's massive. Yeah. Um, but following Love this, it. they had a six-game losing streak, so you cop that, North Melbourne. That was the end. <laughs> that, they, they used all their good, good footy in one yeah. quarter. <laughs> Uh, round seven, they lost to Carlton Rover. Harold Somerville booted five goals, including four consecutively in the second quarter. And he's got a career total of six games for eight goals. <laughs> That's awesome. Five of them kicked in that one game. 
Uh, round 13, a reconstructed and revived North Melbourne showed improved form, soundly defeating St Kilda on the seaside ground, that being the Junction Oval. Uh, superior in the rucks, yards faster to the ball and revealing snappy systematic play. North were better all day. Lions, Radloff and Dyer were actually out of this game. Didn't matter though because North romped to a 40-point win. And as mentioned before, the finish was a high. Uh, they finished the season on a high by holding off a determined Hawthorne to win by four points in that final round. Um, Kevin Dynan kicked the winning goal. Oh, good. Captain's goal, that. Yeah. Real captain's goal. Yeah. Love that. Always good to finish the year on a win. Mm-hmm. Um, with two wins, Footscray. Um, excuse me, what am I saying? Can I edit that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we haven't had one of those in ages. No, we, I, I mean, was looking at the. I was <laughs> love the that. Uh, We're back. We didn't even have one for our 50th anniversary, our 50th episode. <laughs> Save it for our 51st. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> this is amazing. I'm a stroke. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm just going to say it plainly. In ninth place, Footscray with eight wins, one draw. 10 losses, 96.1%. Eight lovely wins. Yes, so the Tricolours, uh, captained by Harry Hickey. Their coach this year was Jim Crow. Now, uh, you might have a bit more information on this to me, but this, he coached just for this one year between Oliver. So really? Oliver coached a few years before and a few years after. Um, so I do have a bit of information about the Footscray oh, yeah. thing. Okay, good. I'm um, glad you got it. So... Here's what seemed to have happened. Uh, Arthur Oliver. Arthur Oliver, who um, has coached the three previous years. Yep, is that right? Yeah. Yep. So he appears to have applied for a transfer to Hawthorne. Okay. And so obviously the um, club were a little bit annoyed by that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so it sounds like they didn't didn't give him the job. So um, three players seem to have applied for coach for the year of 47. Uh, Joe Ryan and Harry Hickey were So Harry Hickey was the captain. Yeah, so he was mentioned as a possible one, but they ended up kind of breaking with tradition. They'd, they'd had a playing coach for the last, I think, seven years, and they appointed Jim Crow. Who wasn't a player. No, well, say so he'd been a Carlton and Collingwood player in the 30s. Yeah. Uh, but was not, you know, had no attachment to Footscray. Okay. Uh, apart from the fact that he was coaching the Footscray seconds. Okay, okay. Yep. Interesting. Mm. So... Good, good. Uh, so round one, first game player, Tim Robb, one of the uh, few Tims who have played in the league by this stage, <laughs> kicked five goals for the Doggies at Junction Oval on debut. Yeah. Bill Wood kicked six as the Doggies smashed the Saints. So wow. good first up win there. Um, and we know the Doggies have come out pretty well in the last few seasons to start the year. Yeah. Round two, for the second year in a row, the Doggies got hold of the Bombers early in the season. And mm. sounds like 2020 is what happened uh, the Bombers last week against the Doggies up at Gold Coast. <laughs> Um, brilliant teamwork, superb pace and dash and determination earned them a 14-point win. In round three, they made it three in a row with a win over the lowly Hawthorne with four goals each to Arthur Oliver, Tim Robb and Bill Wood. They sat on top of the ladder. However, the Blues knocked them off in round four. Mm. Round six saw Kaz one of the hardest and sternest contests for some time. Mm. Um, and it was between Footscray and Collingwood. Well, hopefully no one got hurt, though. Hmm. Collingwood did most things right except for kick goals in this game. Um, victory was gained for the Bulldogs in the last few minutes. They won by 14 points. Wow, good done. They're, they're feeling pretty good about their season. Absolutely. Following their round eight win, they sat in third place. However, they would win only two of their remaining 11 games, oh. drawing that one with St Kilda. Round 14 was a win over Hawthorne, and round 16 was a four-point win over North and their last for the season. 
Charlie, so you talked about Bill Wood earlier. So he yes. kicked 75 goals for the season. Um, that was a new record for Footscray as well for a single season uh, since they had entered the league. Massive. The previous best being 61 scored by Alan Reid. You know what I always say, Tim? Too many goals. Too there are too many, many goals, goals being kicked. It's not good enough. It's not yeah. a spectacle. No, I don't go you to the football. I don't go to the football. Yeah, exactly. I don't go to the chips. It's not peanut. In eighth place, South Melbourne with eight wins as well. One draw, ten losses. 97%. Yes, the Swannies, the Sandgropers, the, uh, the, the, the Legion, the, the Foreign Legion. Yeah. Um, the Albert Park Lake Cup. Yes. yes. <laughs> the Lagoonites. The Lagoonites, yeah. <laughs> Um, captained by Jack Graham, coached by Bull Adams. Their lead goal kicker was Billy Williams with 38. Um, debutants, Frank Brew, Keith Schaefer, and you're not going to believe this, Kaz. George Lucas, three-year-old George Lucas makes his debut for South Melbourne. That is impressive. Isn't it? This is why I felt so big. He's, he's always good. <laughs> yep. Um, Chewie was in the ruck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was directing... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Now, in round two, South Melbourne finally returned to Lakeside Oval for the first game they'd had there since 1941. Amazing! The military had finally left, and they had a brand new grandstand as well. It's unbelievable to think that that's the last stadium that they gave up as well. You would think, because of the size, that the G would have been the last one they'd give up. But, yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, Ron Clegg, who'd set out the first game, made his debut in this win over Carlton. Uh, Max Pickett kicked five goals. Round nine, South are now 12-5 and five in the Lakeside Pennant with a 46-point win over St Kilda. Alan Strang in his third game was the highest scorer with five for the Swannies. Five. Five. Yes. Mm. Um, round 10 with Jim Cleary effectively foiling Fred Fanning and Ron Bywater's dashing playoff centre-half back were the principal features in South Melbourne's decisive 10-point victory over the Demons. Mm. Yes. Good on him. <laughs> <laughs> Round 11 To help celebrate Jack Graham's 200th game The Swans were able to beat Footscray at home He said that if his legs stand up He will play another 200 um, and Before the game he was also presented With an auto tray And a silver cake stand And a sum of money The record stated that he, he delighted supporters With one of his best high marking displays During the game Wow Very nice I don't know what an auto tray is But <laughs> <laughs> no, not sure. Well, what would you do with it before the game as well? Yeah. No, I don't, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just put, put it somewhere safe. It's got no. a large number of gifts, though. Round 13. Yes. All right. They had a four-point loss to Carlton. Um, one missed shot for goal, which looked so easy that spectators could not believe their eyes when they saw a point was registered, cost South Melbourne the victory. Now, Tim, I've been waiting for a moment like this. So wouldn't George Lucas go back in and, and change the game? <laughs> it's funny you mention that. George Lucas, South Melbourne follower, had marked in front almost on the goal line when his lapse occurred. There was no opponent within yards and he could easily have turned around and kicked the ball through, but the set shot looked so easy, he decided to wait and have a straight kick. Then of all things, he kicked the ball too low and it was touched by the man on the mark. Stop oh. it. He's a, he's a, he's a first-year player. That, that's he's the three mistake years he old. Made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's only three. Well, it was impressive. He marked it on the line. Um, even more impressive is this round fifteen game. Yep. An incredible draw with South Melbourne and Collingwood. A very tight game. Scores were level at halftime. The last quarter was a slog. In the dying seconds, champion Jack Graham, two hundred games captain, took a mark, and he thought at this stage his team was one point ahead. So instead of having a shot and trying to kick a goal, he deliberately kicked the ball out of bounds to deny Collingwood any chance of going coast to coast. The bell went shortly after. However, following the game, the scoreboard was adjudged to be incorrect. 
Oh, the scores were actually even. So it was a draw, and the no. Swans were furious. That is your worst nightmare. Mm. Something like that. Mm. Um, and, uh, the, everyone would have been going off uh, off chops, celebrating yeah. as well. Because I believe in those days, the you kick it out of bounds, it's just a throw-in. There's no Oh, yeah, penalty. of course. Yeah. So yeah, that's good time wasting. And I like that theory that you know if I if I miss deliberately or if I'm you know they can't they don't get possession of the ball. It's just a scrimmage and we can battle it out. So yeah, good thinking tactically by him. Had they been in front, mm. yeah, yeah, exactly. And now I can see why they don't have that rule anymore. <laughs> yes. All right, move on. So seventh place, Geelong, eleven wins, eight losses, no draws, one hundred three point three percent, Charlie. 103.3, so just over the average. There we go. Uh, so Geelong, uh, captained by George Neal or Nell, I think it's Neal, with a G at the start, and coached by, t- coached by Tommy Quinn. Their lead goal kicker was Lindsay White with 76. Now, Kaz, I mean, we just had George Lucas playing for South Melbourne. Can you believe... Please tell me Stephen Spill. Can you believe that Rolling Stones guitarist Ron Wood played for Geelong this season? The Amazing. same year he was born. It, it seems crazy to me that he'd do that. I mean, yeah. those those fingers. Yeah, you don't want to roll that. Even yeah. fused together yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, He's old enough to be able to <laughs> <laughs> Also, I've got some an update for you. Fred Flanagan's nickname, Troubles. Um, off the field, Fred Flanagan was a warrior. Bobby Davis said there was always something wrong with Fred in Fred's mind. Hence the nickname Troubles. Yeah. Troubles. He was also heavily involved in various business ventures. I love that. Troubles <laughs> Flanagan. Mm. Um, now, I've got some really good stuff here about Geelong. I, I have, I've been excited to get to them. Round one, the Cats beat their bunnies, the Hawks, uh, at Cardinia, who they seem to have it over at the moment. 45 points. All their goal kickers scored multiple goals. Brown, Hunt, Rayson, Renfrey and White with three and Hovey and Tom Morrow with two. Mm. No one kicked one. I, I can't remember the last time I saw... That many goal kickers when no one kicked one. Kicked goal. one, yeah, 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 absolutely. In round three, in Geelong's loss to Collingwood at home, Russell Renfrey was reported for wearing a ring on his finger whilst on the field. Stop it. Reported for that. He was reprimanded for the incident. Round seven, Russell Renfrey was again at the centre of the action in what was described as a poor game, especially in the first half with low scores. With 13 seconds left, Renfrey dashed towards goal. The Black Cats at this point trailed by a point. He outwitted his opponent. The crowd roared as Renfrey kicked the goal within inches of the goal line. The Cats led by five points. From the centre bounce, the Saints won the tap and were headed into the attack when the siren went. So Cats beating beating the Saints just, luckily. Mm. Uh, Round 12, at a cold and wintry day out in Glen Ferry. No, Glen Ferry against the Hawks. Geelong stormed home in the last quarter to beat the Hawthorne. And perhaps this was inspired by the events of half-time. The head trainer, E. Davey, had prepared a pot of hot beef tea for them, Ooh. which they happily consumed um, and proved very popular on such a cold day that maybe this inspired them to come back and beat the Hawks. That sounds awful. <laughs> is it bone broth or hot is it beef tea? This is hot beef tea. Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you try it. Um, now round 14. Wow. As Collingwood beat Geelong by a point at Cardinia, the memorable incident was when a player grabbed at the point post to stop themselves from falling, dislodging the post. The game was held up for several t- several <laughs> minutes while they tried to fix it. Um, they couldn't fix it properly, so at one stage in the last quarter, they asked a spectator to hold it upright for some uh, amount of time. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm imagining three stooges there trying to, trying to hold it up and turns out supporters there. 
Um, round 18. A successful trip to Junction Oval for a change, because they never win there. Still ended in disaster for Geelong. They won the game by 34 points, but at halftime a thief had gained entrance to their rooms, hidden the bathroom while the players were there, then came out, stole money, uh, Russell Renfrey's overcoat. Um, and yeah, when it was announced after the game, several supporters chipped in to help cover the losses the players okay. had received. Thank God there were no gifts. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I've only got auto trays in <laughs> In round 17, 18 and 19 Lindsay White finished the season on fire Kicking 9 goals in a win over Richmond 9 in a win at St Kilda and saving his best for last They played top of the ladder Carlton at Cardinia Park in round 19 And Carlton were clinging to a 4 point lead As the clock ticked into time on Then White rose for a spectacular, spectacular mark Wide out in the half forward flank On the grandstand side of the ground By then he'd booted 9 goals for the day White looked for a lead, but when none were forthcoming, he decided to take what seemed a near-impossible shot for goal. He launched a mighty drop kick, and to the astonishment of everyone watching, it split the goals easily. White's booming kick was later measured at more than 60 metres. The Geelong old-timers will tell you that it remains the greatest goal ever kicked at the ground. (laughs) Love that. Cats won by two, White kicked ten. Ten! That is huge. Yeah. So a very eventful season in Geelong. Yeah. For not much to show for it either. Like, well, yeah. but they are definitely improving though. Yes, I they mean, they've been down in the dumps. Well, after having those seasons out, they yeah. then what they finished last, twelfth, tenth, twelfth, eleventh, tenth, and now seventh. So they they're there. creeping up, and I think this season they were considered probably the best team that didn't make finals. Okay, there you go. Apart from obviously the next team we're going to talk well, about. Yeah, I'm well. a bit surprised. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit surprising, um, but for most of us out there, it won't be a surprise to hear Melbourne in sixth place. <laughs> 11 wins, 8 losses, 117.1%. So definitely the best team not to make the finals this year, I would say. No, uh, so, uh, captain by Norm Smith, coach by Checker Hughes, vice-captain Jack Mueller, M- Mueller old eight-fingers Mueller, uh, <laughs> and their lead, lead goal kicker was Fred Fanning with 97. Yes, we'll get to Fred. We will definitely get to Fred. Um, and they returned the MCG. They did. Finally. Welcome. Back on the hallowed well, ground. We know they played last season. They played, I think, round 17. Yeah. Finally back there, but they can actually train there as well now. Yeah, yes. they're back on there. They're doing it well. Uh, we so, benefited this. <laughs> yeah. Now, round two was their first win. They played Geelong at the MCG. Uh, the Demons did their best to get the visitors off to a start by opening the match with 13 straight behinds. <laughs> they finally got a goal thanks to a snap from Jim Mitchell and four goals in the last five minutes of the second quarter got them back in the game. In the second half, they kicked 10 goals, 12 to win by six goals. So, Whoa. Yeah. In the end. Look, most of what I'm going to say about Melbourne is the Fred Fanning show. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Round four, nine goals to Fred Fanning, saw the Demons too strong for the Tigers. Round five, they played Collingwood, Fred Fanning, nine goals again. Uh, they won... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Um, they won a battle between Melbourne's long-kicking, high-marking game style and the more speed-based version favoured by the Magpies. Melbourne's defenders were the key factor in keeping the usually free-scoring Collingwood to a low score, and McGrath, McLean, and Deans were best. They beat the Magpies by 25. I like the way we sound. <laughs> Big and strong, round long s- kicking. Round seven, and, and like confident forward as well. <laughs> round seven, against the Dogs. Uh, they dog shot away to a three-quarter lead. They had 15 points up, and they extended that to 21 points, but wilted under pressure as the quarter went on, just like their final in 46. Mm. Two goals to Fanning got the Demons back in the game. Entering time on, they snatched a one-point lead and they held on to this in the last five minutes before registering another goal on the siren. 
Uh, round eight, Fanning kicked ten against the Saints. <laughs> Uh, round nine, the Demons beat the Shinboners by 21 points at Arden Street, and suddenly they'd won six in a row. What? Yeah. Love it. But following this, uh, they lost six in a row. Mm. By this stage, they were eighth on the ladder, three games out of the four. Things weren't looking good. They probably wouldn't be making finals. Four games left. Uh, round 16, in an inaccurate arm wrestle against Collingwood, just before the final bell, Melbourne's Aiden Dollard gold, Dullard gold to put the Demons in front, and they held on to win. It was Collingwood's lowest score against the Demons since 1921 of seven goals, 14. Oh, wow. Uh, and again, another Collingwood fade-out in the last quarter. Mm. Round 18, the Demons demolished Footscray at Western Oval. Fanning kicked 10 in their 24 goals. <laughs> of their 24 goals, 11. Mm. Um, that 155 points was Melbourne's largest ever VFL score against the Bulldogs to that point. Um, Fitzroy's win else, elsewhere meant that Melbourne's big percentage boost that would be their largest ever score at Western Oval was wasted because they could no longer make finals. Um, But look, the story of Melbourne is this last round. Charlie, I think you deserve the... That's it. You're a demon supporter. You You tell me. Tell everyone about this big day because we all know about Fred Fanning. Well, I think most people do, don't they? They know that that he's the the holder of the record of the most most goals goals kicked in a game. And it happened on this fateful day, round 19, against... Thank you. <laughs> um, so the the amazing thing, and a lot of this information that uh, I that I've got, and I know you have as well, Tim, is from the book The Red Fox, yeah. which is a brilliant book for any Melbourne supporter out there, or just Norm Smith just fan, football, football historian, just a football fans, historian. Yeah. It is a fantastic book. So, I mean, Melbourne went out with confidence. Fred Fanning obviously had a few huge day, huge days leading up to this. Like he's, he's as Tim just mentioned, kicking nines, tens. Mm. He's just kicking backs, and he's a big man. I didn't re- realize quite how big he was, but 193 centimeters, weighing okay. in at 102 kilos yeah. in, in his playing days. And he was 25 at this stage. Okay. Yeah. So he's sort yeah, of in the, in in the midst of his career in, yeah. in the prime, and he walked out. And he was very confident, wasn't he, Timmy? What did yeah, he say? He, his lips. he said, oh, I'm going to kick 18. I think he told Don Corden, I'm going to yeah, kick 18 I'm going to kick 18 today. And they're all going, what, what is this guy talking about? Well, he did. Yeah. He kicked 18-1. I mean, how's that for, for incredible accuracy on, on that day as well? And what so, was it, 15 in a, or 13 in a row before he missed one? Th- yeah, that was right. Yeah, 13 in a row. And then he and hit the post from a set shot. That's it. And then kicked another five. So do you want to hear the breakdown of goals? I do. So, obviously, we know he kicked 18-1 over the game. First quarter, kicked four. Yep, good start. So, you'd be feeling, you'd be up and about. Yep, I mean, there, he said he's going to kick 18, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. So, were you slightly below average at that stage, True. aren't you? yep. Second quarter, seven. Oh, now we're talking. Yeah, yeah we're no, on. hitting up. We're, we're really hitting yeah. up here. Third quarter, 3-1. So, not, not blemish. You know, yeah, exactly. You don't need that. And then the last quarter, just to finish with an easy four, yep. just to really just clean it up. Nice. It's amazing. I would love to have watched and seen how many different defenders they cycled through <laughs> on him that day. <laughs> just You would have just had the shittest day ever yep. playing on him that day. So he kicked 18-1, which is 109 points. Yep. He outscored seven other teams that round <laughs> and drew with one. Amazing. Yeah. So 27 goals for Melbourne. Fred kicked 18 of them. Which is just well, insane. Think, think about our current season, where seven rounds in, the common leader sits on fifteen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's in what seven games? I was thinking that before when you said that um, he kicked ten in his other game against St Kilda. He's kicked twenty-eight against one team. Yeah, 
Like I think that, Gordon Coventry used to always get a hold of St Kilda as well. That's right, he did, yeah. Um, so Fred's a really interesting character and what a way to... And this is his last game, isn't it? In the VFL. What a yeah. way to go out. Oh so he left... He left uh, VFL very early on and there there are a few things mentioned about him being maybe a selfish player yeah especially um, in that book in that book but in other in other things it actually mentions that he is quite he is quite team oriented uh, well, he so, definitely benefits from Norm Smith and, oh, uh, and Jack Mueller and the way they and play Gordner in the middle and, yeah. yeah and the way they set up around him yeah. and mm-hmm. there were things mentioned that he was always up and about when he was playing well and not up and about when he wasn't, no matter what the team yeah. result was. And we but, know Norm Smith was all about the team, wasn't yes, he? Yes, yeah, and as captain, that was that could have had something to do with maybe why he decided to leave Melbourne. The thing also, and I think we always mention it to remember, is that at this time, the VFL isn't what the AFL is now. It's not the top of the pyramid. No. Like it, I mean, it's seen as the, the strongest competition, but it was often a stepping stone for guys to make more money in the bush. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because it's a, a cultural lot, law. They couldn't exactly. sell a certain amount so of money. A lot of people were mo- moved on, like did some of their best work early in the VFL to then get the big paydays. Mm. And that's what Fred did in this case. He left Melbourne at the end of this year to go to Hamilton where he's going to get paid three times as much money. Mm. Um, but that, that actually caused that. a whole Well, there's a bit more to this story well. which, which we might talk about in our next 40, in our 48 episode because yes. it, ca- it carries over. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave that part. But what an amazing thing. I mean, obviously, Dunstall... Was Seven, that close? Seventeen yeah. five, he yeah. kicked. So only two points off. Yeah. But um, but how accurate? Eighteen goals, one. Yeah, and the one hits the post. Yeah, like yeah, phenomenal. It'll never um, be broken. No, it, well, something we, will drastically have to change for, for the way one yeah, player in to the kick way we goals. play. In the way we play, definitely. Yeah. Like, uh, who's kicked the biggest bag recently? Wasn't it? Isn't it Lynch with ten? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Or Rewald in the last couple Maybe of years. Or yeah. Dull, or, Kennedy. I don't reckon anyone's kicked more than 10 in a long time. No, though. no. I, I remember Mark Lacroix kicked 12 yeah. against Essendon that's in, right. 10 years ago. Yeah, then, so yeah, yeah. That's the one that sticks out most. Uh, so there you go, Fred. Mm. Um, there was something mentioned in an article I read which I really liked was a uh, uh, quote from his son uh, who said, um, his greatest record out of all the things he achieved besides kicking the 18 goals, so the thing he treasured second most was a small tin plaque from the 1947 Carnival team where he was picked as an all Austra- the All-Australian full forward. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so so, we've got the, car- the Carnival back this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great to hear. So he, even though, I mean, it was such a huge thing, um, his son has said that his father never fe- felt that that game was, wasn't even his finest football moment. Yeah. He felt other things were more important to him. So I like that. That was cool. So there you have it. That's it. That's the story. That's history. That is history. (laughs) In fifth place, Collingwood, the Mighty Pies with 11 wins, one draw, as we spoke about, and seven losses, 112.4%. So captain by Fonz Kine, coached by Jock McHale, their lead goal kicker was Neil Mann with 48. Mm. As I was reading that, I was thinking back to how we talked about after they lost Ron Todd, there wouldn't be a a, a Coleman winner for a long time. Yeah. We're continuing that tradition still. Yes, absolutely. They won't. Yeah, they won't have a, a key forward for quite a while. Um, they they got a few uh, debutants: Stan Moon, Stan Smith, Pat Toomey, and Ron Richards. You want to tell us a bit about Ron Richards? Debuting for Collingwood, Ron Richards recruited uh, like his brother Lou. Yes. Yes. The Lou Richards brother 
Ron Richards, though, we're talking about here, uh, was from Collingwood Tech. Um, Ron made his VFL debut at 19. The diminutive Richards found his niche as a rover. Oh, that suits the uh, that suits that family. Yeah. <laughs> his penchant for the contest, making him a particularly valued member of the Magpies. He he often starred on the wing, but he could also rove. Was dangerous near gold and was a fierce and tenacious tackler in the back lines. Nice. Um, pre-season, John Wren offered a financial incentive to players to help secure another flag. Of course, he did. He did. Ah. Uh, the club continued <laughs> to search for a full forward, but Mikhail could see no reason why hard training, shrewd tactics, and a willing heart combined with the will to succeed for Collingwood would bring them the next flag. So what? So, sorry to backtrack. Do we know what was the what was the incentive? Just a bit of cash, extra cash. Yeah. If you win, fin- I'll a give financial you, incentive. I'll, if you win, I'll give you twenty pounds. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, and they got off to a flying start in round one. Seven goals, three in the opening quarter to three behinds against Fitzroy. So them race to a forty-six point win with Fothergill and Fon- and Fonz Kine kicking five each. Brilliant start. Um, they are unbeaten till the end of round. F- they were in beat, unbeaten until round four. Then round five, the Demons got the better of them. Yeah, they did. Uh, and two more losses had them sitting at four and three. Um, and this worried Lou Richard. So Lou Richard actually organised one of those classic players-only meetings to address the form slump, along with Jack Burns and Mac Holton. Bit of a leading team style yeah. meeting. Yeah. yeah. However, Jock McHale caught wind of this. Ah. Um, and he was waiting for them on the morning of the proposed meeting. They walked in and he was there and he said, we've never had players meeting since... I've been here. What are you, three commos or something? Now buzz off. Needless <laughs> to say, the meeting didn't take place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jock. Commos. Commos. <laughs> uh, round seven, they lost by a point to Richmond, a very late point being disallowed by the umpires as it had come after the siren. Uh, they lost a vital two points here. Maybe they needed some beef tea. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Round eight, they corrected their slump with a 14-point win over Essendon at Windy Hill. Uh, and with wins over Carlton St Kilda and North, their ship was righted. Or was it? <laughs> um, I love it. Round 12, Des Fothergill forced himself back into the side after eight weeks out, but by halftime he was off again with knee issues. And this would actually be his last league game. Oh, really? Yeah. Again, wasted talent. Shouldn't have gone to the VFA. Yeah. Uh, when they won in round 14 over Geelong by a goal, they were equal second, but no one would have known they'd only have one more game that they would win for the season. They had a draw with South, lost to the D's by five, beat Footscray, but a loss to Richmond meant they'd have to beat Essendon in the final round. To they were very finals. up and down. Win, loss, win, loss, win. Mm. Yeah. So they had to beat Essendon. It came down to round 19. They had to play Essendon, beat Essendon, make finals. If only you people could see the smile on Tim's face. <laughs> well, we know they finished fifth. We've already yeah, said that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, things look good to, to begin with. They kicked six goals to three in the opening quarter. And by three quarter time, they held a four goal lead. But wasted opportunities had seen them kick eight points straight in the third quarter. But what do we know Colling would do in the last quarter at this stage? They fall apart. They fall don't apart. have the gas. They wilted. Essendon kick seven goals to two in the final quarter to win by seven points and kick Collingwood out of the finals. (laughs) (laughs) And there we have it. Finishing in fourth place, guaranteeing finals action. Richmond, 12 wins, seven losses, and a percentage of 109.1%. Yes. So captain, coach, and lead goal kicker, Jack Dyer, kicked 46 this year. Uh, Massive. The triple. The trip. Yeah, he didn't get the BNF, 
Okay. Unfortunately, didn't I did say didn't get the quad. No, it's the, the odds for the quaddy, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Cat, uh, debutante was Wally Cook. Um, now, something we didn't actually talk about was Albie Panham. So he actually crossed over to Richmond. So he had retired from Collingwood in 1945, I believe, and he came across to Collingwood just like his father had done, actually, in 1907. Yeah. And he was coaching Richmond's reserves in 1946. Okay. Because Collingwood had thought, you know, he hasn't recovered from a leg injury. He actually led the reserves to the 46 uh, Premiership. But at Richmond, with injuries mounting, he pulled on the boots again for the first two rounds in 1947. For, wow. For two games with Richmond. So what, at what age is he at this stage? He'd be oh, mid-30s. Mid yeah. yeah wow. um, I quite like it, though, because his dad played for them as well. Yeah, so yeah. he's done the same thing as his dad. Um, so round one, Richmond had a runaway win over North Melbourne. Jack Dye with five. And, you know, Panama's first game in over a year, he kicked four. So he hasn't lost any touch. No, amazing. Uh, but injuries hit Richmond pretty early, and they, they took patched-up teams into the next few weeks of football in which they lost four straight. Um, and if things had, weren't bad enough um, against Hawthorne in round five... Yes, this is issue, what we were going to talk about. Do you want to talk about it? Uh, you, so right at the very beginning of the game, at the first very first bounce, uh, Laurie Taylor, who's the Richmond Ruckman, punched the ball as hard as he could. Yeah. It went 40 yards, Kaz. It's <laughs> yeah. a massive punch. But in doing so, dislocated his shoulder. So mm. that was the end of him for the day. The, sure. other, and uh, the, yeah. the other bad part about this game was Mopsy Fraser was reported and suspended for attempting to kick Stuart Hamilton of Hawthorne. Mm. He was given eight weeks. <laughs> I like Drop the... that, he says. Yeah. Um, round six, Jack Dyer told his team, it's time for the supreme effort. Every game is a new game. If you're going to be able to look your family in the eye, you better start by looking your opponent in the eye. And Jack Dyer led from the front. He kicked five. Burge and your man, Paleface Morris, were in sparkling form. <laughs> Tigers by 46. Nice. Uh, round eight, the Tigers uh, had a bit, bit of a comeback. They were 37 points down at three-quarter time. They won by four points against South Melbourne. They kicked seven goals, six to one goal, one in the last quarter. Uh, it's a club record that still stands as well. They, they beat South Melbourne 103 to 99, but the season was beginning to slip away. They lost to Essendon, um, and they got to the task in a workmanlike fashion, beating the Dogs and the Saints. Paleface Morris was spending more and more time in the ruck, <laughs> which allowed Jack Dyer to spend more time around goals. So, what did you say? He kicked 46. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this would be the most goals he'd kicked in his career thus far. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, round 14, the Blues beat them by seven points and Max Oppie was given six weeks suspension for striking Jack Howe. Um, to make finals, they couldn't afford to drop another game. Colton's boiling a lot of fun this uh, season. Aren't they? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, round 15, all looked lost for the Tigers. They trailed by th uh, they trailed at three-quarter time, having kicked four goals. When a seven-goal last-quarter burst saw them win by nine points, um, thanks to three goals in a row, all assisted by Jack Dyer, which were crucial... Uh, that was round 15, so that win was over Melbourne, unfortunately, for you guys. Sad. Um, round 18, the second last game of the season, they met Collingwood in a crucial match. We know Collingwood are struggling to make fun. You know, yeah, yeah, that it was out. it. They were almost there. In a pre-game address, Jack Dyer reminded the players of every insult, every taunt, supporter attack that Collingwood had heaped upon them. 
Uh, he hated Collingwood. A long list, I imagine. Yeah. yeah. I think he, one of his quotes was, you know, I don't even watch black and white TV. <laughs> I don't even watch TV because it's black and white. Hey, this is like getting in the mind of the players, right? A bit like Adelaide, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I uh, worked yeah. as the Tigers jumped the pies early. Um, he used free rovers in Max Oppie, Burge and Wilson in the middle, as well as pale face in the ruck all day, uh, which matched the pies' pace with their own. Uh, both Arthur Mooney and Laurie Taylor kicked five for the Tigers. They won by 74 points. Gildan! Oh. Collingwood don't even deserve to be in the finals. Um, they won their final match of the season against South with Laurie Taylor and Mopsy kicking five each. They then had to wait for word from Victoria Park to, to oh, know Collingwood's yes. fate. Um, suddenly there was a roar from the crowd as supporters got wind of the uh, the Pies lost to Essendon. Tigers are in the finals. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, that's just holding on, isn't it? That's grit. Yeah. That is grit. Yeah. Which has happened a few times. I mean, Melbourne did it last year to make yeah. the finals. Colling- uh, Carlton the year before. Um, Fitzroy in third place with 13 wins and six losses, 126.7. The Gorillas. Mm. The Gorillas, the, the man's gorillas. team. Um, Captain coached by Fred Hewson. Their lead goal kicker was Eddie Hart with 64. Mm, Some interesting debutantes as well. Uh, One was Don Chip. Oh, yeah. Founder of the the Australian Democrats. Yes. That's Don Chip. Yeah. He played some games with Fitzroy. There you go. That is the team he would have played for as well. Fitzroy? Yeah. 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 I like that. Um, Another debutante, Heinz Ton. (laughs) Okay. Kevin Hart. Oh, good on him. Yeah, yeah. Tra- travelled over he's from America. Too, he's too short to play. One of the first you. Americans to play for Australia <laughs> yeah. for Fitzroy. Uh, and Bill Stephen. I think you got a bit about Bill Stephen to add for us, Kaz. Yes. Debuting Fitzroy, Bill Stephen. Bill Stephen is a regular back pocket player at Fitzroy in his era, <laughs> um, where he's regarded as one of the most consistent players in the game. Ugh, that is what we value above anything else. <laughs> um, he has tenacity, good judgment, more than pace. Uh, uh, and is a good mark for his inches and, and sticks closely to his man. Um, you find that in that era, they um, man on man a bit more. Oh, absolutely. No zoning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was first seen playing in the YCW competition as captain and was quickly signed up for Fitzroy uh, after administrator Percy Mitchell saw him playing. And there's actually, um, if you listen to This Sporting Life, they do, they do a podcast and they talk to lots of old players and there's an interview with him from just April this year so he's I think he's 98 or he's getting on in, in age but there's a, yeah. a good interview with him and you can listen to his story about playing for Fitzroy um, now after a loss to Collingwood in round one they had wins over Richmond and Melbourne um, before a big win in round four Fitzroy defenders were unmovable for the first three quarters as they held North Melbourne goalless um, which is what Richmond did last week in mm. 2020. Um, they slammed on 19, sorry, 16, 19, 140 themselves to smash the shinboners by 101 points. Um, North did end up scoring uh, goals, but yeah, it was a 101 point loss for them. The Baron, Aaron Ruffman, um, Alan Ruffman, kicked five. The Baron. The Baron. Good name. His nickname. Mm. Um, yeah, so North ended up kicking four goals, one in the last quarter to kind of save face. Yeah, good. Oh, After that, it was zero. No goals, 14. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah no, Three that's not time. pretty. Um, in round 10, they lost to Carlton in a close-fought game. Uh, sitting at 5-5, five and five, they would only lose one more game for the home-and-away season. They kicked off their winning ways with wins over Geelong and then Collingwood. Uh, wins over South, North and St Kilda uh, were, were good but not convincing. Their wins all the same. Um, round 14, they had a win over Melbourne and was the only game all season that Fred Fanning was kept goalless. 
Yeah, wow. Although he was subbed off at halftime, I think he okay. had a little issue, but yeah. I still claim that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so he's finished the year with 97 fanning, so this is the game that maybe dinted that. Maybe cost him, oh, yeah. cost him his, cost him his ton. Yeah. Yeah. The, no, no Melbourne players ever kicked a ton either. No. Yeah. Round 18 was a thumping win over Essendon. Eddie Hart kicked nine. This win all but ensured the Gorillas would be playing finals. It was a confidence boost as well, uh, knocking off the reigning premiers by 68 points. Uh, and it was Bombers' biggest loss since 1940, and it would be their biggest win over Essendon until 1979. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Their final round win over the Doggies was the perfect warm-up for finals. 64-point win, Eddie Hart and the Baron with four, four goals each. Good way to finish. Indeed. How are you going for time? I re- yeah, let's do... We can easily do Essendon and Carlton. Okay, and then we'll just... Yeah, yeah we should be fine. Yeah. Right, cool. Um... And almost getting the chocolates at the end of the season. In second place, Tim, unfortunately, Essendon with 14 wins and 5 losses. So 122.8%. Mighty Bombers. So close, the Mighty Bombers. Captain coach again by uh, Dick Reynolds. Lead goal kicker was Ted Lehane with 50. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Mm, so. So close. Interesting. To the top. Uh, yes, it was a good season. Um, Debutants are Doug Bigelow. <laughs> Juice's father. The Deuce, yeah. <laughs> um, and Norm MacDonald. Can you tell us a bit about him, the uh, Essendon's first Aboriginal player? Tim for Essendon. Norm MacDonald, Essendon's first ever Indigenous player. Yeah. Norm was a Gunditjmara man growing up on Lake Gonda Mission before uh, his mother passed away from tuberculosis, yeah. after which he was placed in a boy's orphanage. Geelong Protestant Orphanage it was. Norm was also a paratrooper in the army from 1942 to 46. Yep. Norm lied about his age, having enlisted at age hmm. 16. Yeah. Norm had an extraordinary natural ability and balance. Uh, he took risks, um, and his fast speed made him unstoppable. Um, he could turn defence into attack at a moment's notice, and his fantastic ball handling skills meant that he could turn a game around. That's what you need, isn't it? When Absolutely. You, uh, yeah. So. He went on to play 128 uh, games over, over games over six seasons. It's pretty good uh, as a halfback flanker, uh, a multi-talented sportsman. McDonald was also an accomplished boxer and sprinter. Nice. Season started well with wins of in three of the first four games over South St Kilda and Geelong. In each of those, they scored over 100 points. Hutchie was on fire kicking 10 goals across those games, equaled with 13. Um, and Mrs. Crichton raised the flag in the match against the Swans as well. Ah, uh, yes. Didn't drop that game. Round six. The curse has lifted. The curse. Well, it has, it's been a while since Melbourne fell to the curse. That's now true. the last team who did it. All right, round six, we know what happened against North Melbourne. They blew that seven-goal lead to, yeah. to lose to North. And they were three and three, so not exactly the start they wanted. And they had regulation wins over St Kilda, Geelong, uh, but teams like Footscray, North Melbourne, and Carlton easily got hold of them, and they sat sixth after six rounds. They then lost to Collingwood in round eight, but then would go on a nine-game winning streak. Oh, good way. Yep, nice. Kicked off uh, against Richmond. They scored 18 goals, 17, 125, which was their biggest... It doesn't seem that big, but their biggest score against Richmond since they had entered the VFL. Well, yeah, that seems strange, especially considering that you know you'd think you would, they would have beaten them by more in those starting years for yeah. Richmond. Yeah, yeah, 125 is not really that big. Um, round 13 against Footscray in a win. Bill Hutchison played his 100th match. Feels like he's been yeah, you know, just just joined and it's 100 games already. Yeah. Uh, round 15, it was a hard-fought yet dominant game against 
the Cats, Ivan Goodingham in his 13th game, kicked a game high of five. In round 16, Essendon defeated the top of the table Blues. Bombers pulled the surprise by naming Greg Tate as a late replacement. No one had even heard of him. He, uh, he'd been playing with the North Essendon Methodists team. Uh-huh. Um, he came in to replace Les Gardner. Kicked the goal in the 40-point win as well. Bombers kicked 6-6 to two points in the last quarter. Uh, and finally, um, I talked about that last game against Collingwood. But from the Essendon perspective, it was a dire affair with things on the line for both teams. Essendon needed to win to make uh, to get the double chance in finals. Collingwood, obviously, we know wanted to make finals. Um, it was a 23-point lead to Collingwood, but the Dons' defence stiffened in the last quarter. Reynolds from the centre began to do well. McClure and Jones gave help to Bushby in the ruck. Uh, Lane and Lehane became prominent in the air. Two quick goals by Goodingham and Lehane whittled down the lead, then Roll gold, and the difference was one point. In time on, McClure gold to break the Magpies' hearts, who from this point could barely gather strength to kick the ball, let alone a run, and the Bombers ran out 11-point winners. Um, one thing I didn't say is Essendon suffered quite a lot of injuries this season as well, um, some that will actually affect them in the finals. We'll oh, okay. Yep, yep. Shortly. We'll get to that. Yeah, beautiful. They sound very dominant. Well, look, Kaz, it's the 40s. We've got Dick Reynolds, three-time Brownlow medalist, <laughs> as our captain coach. How can you not be dominant? Yeah. Oh, I can't think of that. Yeah. They, those players, they lift the others as well. It's a good right? point, yeah. Okay, first place, Carlton, 15 wins, four losses, 134%. Yes, top of the table. So uh, lead goal kicker here, Ken Hans, coach again, Perce Bentley. But the one that to mention is the captain this year. Yeah, Ern Henfrey. Ern Henfrey, a new recruit to the team, just well, coming in technically as not. captain. Technically not a new recruit. He played two games for them in yes. '44. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. They, while he was sta- while he was on station with the RAF. Yeah. yeah. But um. So he'd come over from WA. Yeah. Comes back into the team and just takes over the captaincy. Yeah. Uh, now replacing Bob Chitty as well. Re- replacing Bob Chitty, who retired last year. So uh, Ern Henfrey coming in and proves to be an absolute masterstroke. Absolutely. I did want to also mention that um. Uh, Carlton this year really stepped up. Um, memberships are becoming a bigger thing. And, okay. And, but Carlton this year had the largest membership in the league. Oh, wow. 11,213 people. We're talking hmm. even after the bloodbath. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, yeah, this is some people. Yeah, there. And uh, apparently it was not just in Melbourne. It spread across the gro- globe like the Kick to Kick podcast has. <laughs> Annual re- reports were requested from the club from the US. Yeah from San Francisco and New York, I believe. Ireland, England, China, New Zealand, and Japan. Wow. So members all, members across the globe. Wow. Interesting. Very nice. Well, things got off to on a good start for them. Round one, Ken Hands, their little rover, kicked seven. Yes. As the Blues bounced the Demons. Yeah. Uh, round, round three, <laughs> after a grim and dour first half when the Tigers countered Carlton's pace by tenacious blanketing tactics, according to the Sporting Globe, uh, the Blues overwhelmed Richmond with a 13-goal to two second half. Ken Hanzo was given a two-week suspension for pushing an opponent after a free kick. In this game, Ken Baxter's five goals also included his 200th career goal. Oh, nice. Round five, they had a strong win over the Bombers, which was helped by the Blues kicking their first 13 goals straight until spoiling their perfect record with a number of behinds in the second half. But they won by 27. Carlton <laughs> lo- Carlton's loss to Collingwood in round nine was their only loss in 13 games between round three and round 14. So okay, yep, yep. Bit of a good streak there. Um, round 12, a five-point heartstopper against Melbourne at the MCG. was also interesting because, amazingly, only four Carlton players had graced the Hello Turf of the MCG prior to this. What? Because oh, of, because it had been close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So only Bailey, Baxter, Brown, and Bennett 
all the bees. All the bees. Had, had, uh, That's had super played. weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Round 13, 14, 15 were all close calls. They all had these wins over South Richmond and Footscray were all by single digits. Um, Bert Deacon was best on ground in most of these games as well. Not surprising. Um, so, yeah, four in a row... They had wins that were under 10 points. Um, but that's what a champion team does. That's what does. a good team does. That's what I was going to say. You yeah. win when you look like you're going to lose. Yeah, you win yeah. the close ones. That's it. Even I if really you are an example of a good team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, things finally caught up with them in uh, round 16 when Essendon got hold of them in the last quarter. But they finished the season with easy wins over North and St Kilda. Um, yeah, beaten by two points in the final round against Geelong. Uh, but they didn't really... They, no. they weren't too stressed. They, they were had sitting to, pretty top on top. Yeah. up at that stage. Yeah. Um, as you said, Kaz, they were a game clear, so it didn't really... Well, two games clear at that stage. Yeah. Didn't matter, so... Yeah. There you go. And they, they're going, uh, yeah, on top. Uh, I'm just, I realised, can I say this, that uh, we, we haven't had a Carlton supporter on, have we? Nope. As a guest? No. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason for that. They're so big <laughs> we, now. We don't they? know any. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think... Well, I know a few, but... Yeah. Oh, you do? I don't know, man. Yeah. I know a few. Yeah. Right, us in. Um, <laughs> so that's the season done. Let's cross to Moz now. She's going to give us the Brownlow Downlow, and also the team of 1947. There's, a, there's an Australian, the Australian team. team. Yes. The Brownlow Downlow with Moz. The winner of the 1947 Brownlow Medal was a scrupulously fair, high-marking centre halfback for Carlton. He was indeed the first Carlton player to win the Brownlow and one of the few players in the 1945 Bloodbath Grand Final who refused to fight and could hold his head high after the final siren. Bertrand Bert Deacon was 23 years old when he won the Brownlow. He wore number 23 on his Guernsey and he won the award with 23 votes. St Kilda's Harold Bray lapped up 21 votes. And Hawthorne's Wally Culpit and South's Ron Bywater each finished on 18 votes. Bert had played for Preston Football Club in 1940 and 1941. Following on from a tradition his dad had set, his dad had played for Preston in the 1920s. But once the VFA suspended the competition during the war, uh, Deacon had to find another team to play with. He then struck up a friendship with Carlton's newest coach, Percy Bentley. Deakin started in the centre for Carlton in 1942, but he only played a handful of games over the following uh, two or three years as he was posted in the Northern Territory during this time. He became captain coach of an army stores team in Darwin while he was posted up there. An ongoing muscle tear in uh, Bert's thigh eventually ended his career early in 1950. He did play seven games during 1950, but from what I've read, it sounds like those games, even just the seven games, were a bit of a stretch. His thigh was causing him quite a bit of grief. Uh, So he ended up only playing 106 games for Carlton. Um, But when he did play, he made a huge impact. He stood at 5 foot 11, and his high marks, though not considered particularly spectacular in nature, were rarely beaten. he, after, after his career ended, well, his playing career ended, he became a member of the Carlton Committee and saw a few more premierships there for Carlton during that time until January the 3rd, 1974, when Bert and his family were holidaying in Balnarring around the Mornington Peninsula and, unfortunately, he did not survive from a huge heart attack. Bert was only 51 years old at the time.
On the History of the Carlton Football Club website, they describe Bert as a man whose dignity and integrity transcended club loyalties and brought him genuine admiration. A beautiful way of describing what sounded like an absolutely lovely and fair man. So I have here the Sporting Life magazine, which was a super popular sports magazine published nationally from 1947 to 1957. And very interestingly, the magazine pioneered the concept of the All-Australian team. So I have here the 1947 team and I am going to read it out to you. In the back line, we have Richmond's Max Oppie, Melbourne's Shane McGrath and Essendon's Percy Bushby. The halfbacks are Melbourne's Wally Locke, Essendon's Wally Buttsworth and Carlton's Burt Deacon. In the centre, we have Norwood's Sam Gallagher, Carlton's Ern Henfrey and South Melbourne's Billy King. Half forwards are Essendon's Bill Hutchison, Essendon's Gordon Lane and West Torrens' Bob Hank. The forwards are Carlton's Jack Howell, Melbourne's Fred Fanning and Collingwood's Lou Richards. And the followers are Perth's Merv McIntosh, Melbourne's Don Cordner and Port Adelaide's Bob Quinn. There are no reserve players or coaches included in the team, um, but Melbourne and Essendon each have four players included, so that's pretty impressive. All right, finals, Charlie. All righty, so let's talk it through. All right, so we, we've got Fitzroy back in the finals for the first time since '44. Yeah. I believe. The man's team. The man's team. <laughs> I haven't been the man's team since the 20s. I know, but it's the, just the best. Mm. So let me have it. Okay. <laughs> so Fitzroy taking on Richmond at the MCG. Yes. Sorry. That's right. So going into this match, Jack Dyer built up his tactics around Max Oppie and kind of like he was their key go-to man. Um, but things fell apart and Max Oppie limped from the ground with a leg injury early on. And so their plans kind of fell through. Um, in the first three quarters, if we look at the scores there, Fitzroy, the, the scores were quite close. They yeah, could get yeah. ahead but not too far ahead. Um, and there was an eight-point difference at three-quarter time, but then that last quarter, the Gorillas just really ran all over the, the uh, Tigers there. That was it. That was the end. Um, so Norm Johnson's opening goal kicked off a six-goal to three final quarter. And really, that was it. Yeah, well, that, that was it. So in front of a huge crowd there, 82,570. Mm. Um, yeah. And George, George Coates and Eddie Hart with five each for the Gorillas. Massive. So, yeah, 16-7, 103, defeated Richmond's 11-9-75. Yeah. So that just bundles Richmond out of the finals. It does. Uh, Jack Dyer won't be happy with that. No. But they, look, they were sort of... Hey, made it ahead of Collingwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he'd be yeah. happy with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So which takes us to the second semi-final mm. in front of another large crowd, 75,475. Yes. Uh, and Carlton playing Essendon here, Indeed, Timmy. Indeed, yes. Yeah, the hated enemies. Um, look, Essendon started the game kicking with the benefit of a strong wind. Mm. but look, they Carlton were, were asleep. Yeah, Carlton scored one point, but yeah. Essendon were really wasteful. They kicked three goals, eight. Um, Brownlow medalist Bert Deacon and Ollie Grieve of Carlton were at fullback. Uh, they limited the damage for the Blues. They really worked hard. Uh, Carlton was dominating in the ruck and the Blues managed to kick seven goals to three in the second quarter to really set up this game to get themselves back in it. Essendon kicked 6-12 by that stage. Yeah, so what? So only, so three goals, four in the second. Mm. Yeah. Um, Bert Deacon appeared to injure himself in the third quarter, which really 
limited his input, but Ken Hands really started to dominate in the forward line. Um, and Essendon lost Ted Lehane with a broken collarbone. So one of our... Oh, big goal kicker. Yeah, yeah. big goal kicker. Um, mistakes by Essendon made it easier for Carlton in the last quarter and three quick goals. Um, saw Carlton really get on top with Howe getting one and Hands two. Carlton established a winning lead and went on to kick five goals to one in the last quarter to take out the match and advance to the grand final. Yeah, so 16-point winners there, meaning Essendon have to uh, go back the next week and mm. Carlton get a bit of a week off. Yep. And Essendon, as you said, without Lahane yep. for the for this second week, so a tricky one. Yeah. So coming into that prelim, Fitzroy, Essendon sitting there in front of a much lower crowd, i got to say, in front of 55,000 for a yep. final. Uh, and... Tell us what happened. All right. Well, Fitz and Fitzroy were quite confident. I mean, in the second last round of the season, they'd smashed Essendon by 68 points. Mm. So they were considered the favourites. Um, Bombers took their chances in the first half and held a three-goal lead at halftime. Uh, kicking was a bit better, nine-goal seven. So yep. we're in the, we're in the green like, there. Yeah. Uh, but Fitzroy came alive in the third quarter, kicking four goals to one and had a one-point lead going into the uh, the final quarter. That is huge. Um and one of the things Fitzroy did was they started playing on the flanks because Wally Buttsworth was dominating. So they went the flank so they could avoid him at centre-half forward, which was quite clever. Uh, last quarter was an absolute shootout. Bombers kicked six, Gorillas kicked four. Uh, the final margin was 13 points to the Bombers. Jack Jones, our mate, named yes. best on ground. Oh, really? Yeah. Excellent. Um, Fitzroy captain Fred Houston said this after the match. We were lucky. We were unlucky to lose the preliminary final. I feel that if we had won, we could have gone on to defeat Carlton in the grand final. We should have easily defeated Essendon. I don't think there is any doubt about that. Interesting. Only thing is they didn't. They did. Well, that's it. It's interesting. He's probably... I mean, it's interesting sometimes when you think about those matchups, and you mentioned it, you know, during the year, House and Kildare are having their joke about, well, we beat North, and <laughs> yeah. so how the matchups kind of work sometimes, and maybe the uh, the result would have been different if if they'd got got the wood over over the Dons, but they couldn't get it done. No, no, um, which gets us to the grand final. The grand final, which so. is a a meeting between. The 1945 Premiers and the 1946 Premiers. In the 1947 Premiership. It is, yes. Yeah, I like um, that. Now, um, Essendon went into this game with both its forward options out. Ted Lahine did his uh, collarbone and Whopper Lane had broken his rib. Oh. So we're missing both those players. So When did that happen to Whopper? In the in the prelim? Uh, early in the season, oh, I believe. So he's been out for a while. Sorry. Yeah, okay. so they're, they're our two key forwards. They combined for 74 goals for the season. God, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. So You're we had to um, we had to call in Jack Casson, who had effectively retired and was coaching the twos. Yeah. Yep. Um, now this is going to be painful for me, but we've actually got audio of okay. the last quarter. You can actually listen to the radio broadcast. So we might just play the last minute. Oh yes. um, Before we have a chat to the winning the captain, winning captain Ern Henfrey. So let's uh, let's listen to that and then go straight into our chat. Uh, the ball in you, Jim picked up by Baxter, and Baxter kicks the hands, and hands is marked. Now hands going back to take this kick, and about centre-half forward position, favours the drop kick, it's a good one, driving it well down towards centre-forward position, Davies rising high for it, fails to mark, kick off the ground here by Seth Riddell, gets the ball over the line for a throw-in. A matter of yards from the behind post on this grandstand side with Wally Butsworth coming in, and uh, Stafford picking up smartly, plays the goal, and it's through! Carlton take the lead. Now there's no doubt about it, Carlton have shown all the grit and determination that's necessary for a side to fight back in this last term and now take the lead by one point. Carlton 13 goals, 8 behind, 86 points. 
Essendon 11 goals, 19 behinds, 85 points. Back into the centre now. Howell coming into his own, drives it towards half forward flank. McDonald Pace coming in for Essendon. Picks up drives to centre forward position. Dillingham goes for it. Plans the mark and there goes the bell. Listeners, there's the bell and Carlin has won by one point. A magnificent pickup in that last term. Carlton winning by 13 goals, 8 behind, 86 points. To Essendon, 11 goals, 19 behind, 85 points. Ern Henfrey, Carlton captain, welcome. Yes, hi all. Wow. And you sound pretty happy. Are you kidding me? This is the best day of my life. We just won the flag. <laughs> That's right. Tell us how you're feeling. Oh, on top of the world. Wow. I can't describe it. And we would love to have a chat uh, about your football journey. Oh, yes. Okay. Most people probably don't realise that this wasn't, in fact, your first season with Carlton. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, tell us how you originally came to play with Carlton. Oh, sure. Well, as you might know, I'm a sand groper. Oh, no. <laughs> Made my debut with Perth in 1937 and played five years there before a little scuffle kicked off called World War II. Mm. What was your role there? Uh, I was in the 16th Australian Infantry Battalion. Oh yes, the 16th. Yes, and then transferred to the RAF in 42. Mm. Which meant you were posted all over the place? Yeah, I was in Bansdale, Geraldton, Nowra, Camden, <laughs> all over the place. <sighs> But in July 1943, you you came across uh, um, you were coming across home via Melbourne. Yeah, I was at Southern Cross Station when I was approached by a Carlton delegate. He asked <laughs> me if I wanted to play for Carlton. Well, we had a chat about that, and we shook hands about six weeks later. I lined up for their last two games of the season, but then I was posted away from Melbourne. Uh, once the war was over, you returned to Perth, though. Uh, eventually. Yes, and Carlton wanted you back. They did. But Perth, um, they, they didn't want to let you go either. <laughs> no, so I just sit out for a year, and then this year I was able to play. And is it true that Carlton actually named you captain of the team before the clearance was confirmed, Ern? <laughs> yeah, they must have helped their case, because they, na they named me captain, sent another appeal to the ANFC, and next thing I knew, the clearance I wanted was approved. What was the feeling, coming back to Carlton now as captain? Oh, I was honoured but knew it was a big responsibility replacing Bob Chitty. But as, like, it wasn't like you were now a new player? Nah, I had all those years, the Royals, and then I was a corporal in the Army, a flight lieutenant in the RAF. So when Pierce Bentley told me I was captain, I was honoured, but never daunted by the task. And you weren't the only sand groper to come over, were you? Nah, George Bailey, who I played with at Perth, also came over. But he'd also played for the Navy Blues during the, world, during the war days as well. So it was a pretty impressive team you led, and apart from you and Bailey, you had Brownlow runner-up Chuka Howell in the ruck, Ken Hands running around roving, uh, Deacon, the current Brownlow medalist, and Baird in the forward line. Yeah, when you read names out like that, it makes me even more humbled to lead a team of champions like that. Lads, I had to give you the wind-up, but I'm itching to talk about today. How good was it? Yeah, it was a great spectacle of a game. Uh, did you think after beating Essendon in the semi that you'd be facing them again today? Oh, absolutely. Essendon are a champion team. Reigning, oh, were reigning premiers. Not anymore, eh? We always knew they'd be back. So, um, I mentioned the uh, Brownlow medalist, Bert Deacon. Um, can you tell us anything about more about him there? Yeah, what a champion. You want to know what he said when he first found out we'd won the medal? He wanted to tell his mum. 
Oh, how sweet. Uh, but there were a, was there a few doubts about him heading into this game, weren't there? Oh, yes. Hurt his leg in the semi-final, but we had a two-week break between games and we never thought he was in doubt. And it was a sunny spring day today. Uh, do you remember what uh, Perce Bentley said to, said to you before the game at all? Not to me, I don't, but I remember he told Kenny Hands to lead. Ken had actually started on the bench in the semi, so it was important we got the young lad into the game early. Instructions didn't really work well, though. Wally Buttsworth completely blanketed him. Uh, now, the Bombers are a bit underdone. They missed several players out there. Uh, they weren't underdone. They just jumped us early. We were lucky to be in the game. They had so many more shots on goal in that first half. If they'd kicked straight, it would have been game over by half-time. Lucky for us, they missed quite a lot. It was like we had 19 med today. Bill Brittingham was just off target. I think he was moved full back. And luckily, you kicked incredibly straight. Oh, yeah, my word, we did. Luck was on our side today. So you trailed by three, 11, and 11 points at the breaks, and the game was there for the taking. What was said at three-quarter time? Yeah, Pierce threw the playbook out the window, took off Deacon, swung Baxter into the ruck, and told us to play our game. Well, it worked. Uh, eventually, we clawed our way back into the game. So the Bombers led by 14 points at one stage, but had more crucial misses. Uh, there's about 10 minutes to play. Yeah, we kept on pushing forward. It was a thrilling finish. We had our share of wobbly kicks in the finish as well, but when Fred Davies put us within a kick, it was definitely game on. And then Garby kicked the goal? Yeah, but it wasn't a goal. No? Nah, the umpire said he was out of bounds. Although from where I was, it was like the Essendon supporters in the crown made that call. Yeah. Uh, so it was less than a minute left, not that you knew that. Um, the ball was rushed out of bounds, and talk us through that last play. Oh, certainly, right. So the ball was thrown in, and Kenny Baxter just threw himself on the ball, and knocked it into the path of Fred Stafford. Now, Fred hadn't really done much all day, but the ball just bounced up to him. He screwed the ball onto his left foot, over his shoulder, and the bloody thing bounced through. We were in front, finally. But there was still time left. There was, and as soon as the ball was bounced, Dickie Reynolds got his hand on the pill, but the siren rang and she was all over. We did it, you bloody ripper. Well, you sound like you're just soaking it all in, Ern. Oh, you bet I am. Uh, best players in your mind? Oh, well, for Essendon, Buttsworth. Uh, was a big, strong fellow. One of the best for them, but Grieve and Davies in the ruck were strong. Chuka Howe was great in the ruck. Today's win was down to our determination and will to win. Yeah, uh-huh. We were undeniably the best side throughout the year and were on top for greater part of the season. At times, I think we were three games ahead of the field. And yet, when it came to final series, we were not the favourites. We wondered what we had to do. Carlton are not a team of champions, but a team of players willing to fight. Uh, we're willing to fight on irrespective of what the scoreboard says and ready to battle it out for 25 minutes each quarter. Well, you achieved that today, Ern. Thanks. Well done on a great season. Thanks, everyone. Go the Blues. All right. So we work the magic again. Kaz, as much as I don't want to stay on talking about this grand final, let's go over it quickly. <laughs> um, goal kickers for Carlton. Fred Davies with four. Baird with three. Turner with two. Stafford with that. One that got them over the line. That's right. Uh, Howell and Garby and Henfrey with one each. For Essendon, uh, Hutchie with four. Brittingham and Reynolds with two. Casson, Goodingham and Roll with one. Mm. The best ones for Carlton, best players for Carlton were Henfrey, who we just uh, had a chat to. Davies, Bennett, Clark, Howell, Grieve, Stafford and Green. And Kaz, did you know mm. this is the first grand final since 1899 to be decided by a point? Oh, that is unbelievable. Mm. This. Um, Not many close ones, but uh, no, that's the one. They're the ones we like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. We have reserves, yeah. premiers who were North Melbourne, the 
defeating Richmond 109 to 94, played on the same day as a curtain raiser to the VFL Grand Final. Oh dear, I can feel them getting better. And the thirds, Kaz, who do you think won that? Yes. Wait, are you telling me it was the D's? The D's. <laughs> the Demons defeating your mortal enemies, or the team that I know you don't like. No. North Melbourne. No, I don't like them. 85 to 73. Good. Would you say that North Melbourne are the Carlton to my Essendon? Like you hate North the way I hate Carlton? Yeah, absolutely, because they, they're always beating us. <laughs> they always seem to be getting it, the, what, that one over us, those close games. But I like the way you, you say that um, Essendon will always be better than Carlton. It's just that they, there's occasional <laughs> blemish. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. I remember <laughs> chatting to the Carlton historian when I met him. Um, and when I said I was an Essendon supporter, he's like, ah, oh, anytime we meet in grand finals, Carlton always win the close ones. We always win by a yeah. few points. Yeah. And Essendon, if they win, always win by heaps. <laughs> That's right. Uh, interesting little fun fact. <laughs> um, we've got some retirees as well for you, Kaz. Okay. Um, so, Elby Panham of Collingwood and a few games for Richmond this season. Yes. 183 games, 459 goals, two flags. Mm. And we've got Des Fothergill. Whoa, another legend. Yeah, one Brownlow medal. 111 games, 337 goals. Mm. Um, he'd actually moved to the UK and played county cricket there. Mm. Was also considered as a bit of a goalkeeper and almost got a gig um, playing for one of the top-tier soccer teams over there. So his sporting prowess oh, is... Absolutely. He isn't, he isn't finished yet. And is that t- so that's two um, fairly big Collingwood people leaving. I know they... Oh, he's another, here's another one. Jack Murphy, 160 games. Oh, dear. So, yeah, maybe, you know... Collingwood, mm. who knows what's going to happen in the mm. future? Mm. I mean, we do, but. Clem <laughs> uh, Denning of Carlton Fitzroy, 177 games, one flag. Fred Fanning has mm. 104 no. games, 411 goals, and still holds that record in 2020 of most goals in one game, that being 18. Uh, Can you ever see that being broken? No. No, I can't. Not the way the game's played now. No, right? they'd have to drastically change the rules for that mm. to come even close. Mm-hmm. I mean, even 10 goals these days is. Mm. An absolute bag, mm. and we go. We 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 really love the goals. We go to see the spectacle. We love lots of goals, lots of goals. <laughs> and Fred Fanning, it's, if he'd stuck around even longer, he could have could have added to that tally. Why? Why did he? Seems yeah. early that he's he, left. He could have uh, been the first Melbourne player to kick a hundred goals. No one's ever done <laughs> it. He's the closest that came. <laughs> um, we've also got Fred Houston, who's the last who 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 is officially the last Fitzroy. VFL Premiership Captain Coach. Uh, it'll, ne- it'll never happen again. No. 164 games for him. We've got Jack Casson, Essendon champion. Mm. 150 games, 145 goals, two flags. Uh, Sid Let's, Dyer, yeah. no relation to Jack, from North Melbourne, 155 games, 321 goals. And Alan Hurd, James's grandfather, um, finishing there with St Kilda, also playing with Essendon and Hawthorne. 154 mm. games, one flag. I like to think he quit because uh, they lost the grand final. He was not. Uh, he was at St Kilda. I'm just making it. Were you listening here. earlier? <laughs> Damn it. I've got Marcus Whelan, Brownlow medalist, 173 games and two flags. Now, um, Kaz has left us early, so I'm just going to go through that na- the list of uh, names. Good list. Uh, we've got Bill Stamps, Gordon Ramsay, John Curtin, Howard Shedlick, Len Wolf, Cash Fitzgerald, Jock Lennon, George Cocken, Frank Jeeves, Graham Dunscombe. Jim Cool, George Lucas, Stan Moon, Stan Smith, Don Chip, Heinz Ton, Doug Bigelow, and Alan Greenshield. What a list. Um, <laughs> it's but so good. Kaz has gone for Jock Lennon. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm North glad. Melbourne's own. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I love it. Let's, uh, let's sum up the year then, Charlie. So let's sum up the year, okay. The VFL Premiership team for 1947, Timothy. Oh, Carlton. Beating who in the grand final, was it? 
Yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. In the last minute. (laughs) Brownlow medalist. Uh, The Brownlow medalist, Burt Deacon, centre-half back. Mm. First man for Carlton. Coleman medalist, though. Or leading goal kicker. Oh, the the leading goal kicker, Fred Fanning, of Mm. course. The great man. Um, And takes, you know, no one got him. Wooden spoon. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) <laughs> Why don't we go back to leading goal kicker? We'll okay. just go through. Okay. So the leading goal kicker. Okay. The leading goal kicker. Well, for do you want you want to tell me? I would love to. It was Fred Fanning. Oh, oh surprise, surprise. Yeah. With ninety-seven <laughs> goals, twenty-eight of them against St Kilda. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, the Brownlow medalist, Timmy. Bert Deacon of Carlton. First Carlton Brownlow medalist. Yeah. At centre half back as well. Yeah. Very impressive. Yep. Um, wooden spoon. St Kilda again. They're fourteenth. 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 Um, highest score in forty-seven was Melbourne as well. You'll be happy to know in that last round. It, it Twenty-seven to. nine hundred seventy-one. It had to be. Yeah. So hang on, we mentioned before one hundred and nine of that was kicked by Fred. Yep. So that is outrageous. Mm. I love it. Uh, it's the first time since nineteen twenty-one the highest score has been of the season has been kicked at Junction yep. Hill as well. Beautiful. I yeah, I do, I do, I do. Um, I'm just going to mention again, I know you've already talked about it, but the third's premiership was won by Melbourne. It was. Very importantly. Um, premiership tallies as of 1947. We've got Collingwood with 11, Carlton with 8, Essendon with 8, Fitzroy 8, Melbourne 5, Richmond 5, Geelong 3 and South Melbourne with 3. Yeah, so who's still, who is still missing? St Kilda, Footscray. St Kilda and the expansion clubs. Yeah, well, yeah, not including Richmond. I, uh, Richmond, we're still counting them as an expansion club. Look, I think they've been around long enough. Yeah, now we can't. Once the new expansion look, comes in, the old expansion clubs become yeah, yeah, establishment. Yeah, even though they're not the originals. No. Yeah. Um. So that yeah, that, I'm glad we got through 47. I didn't know. I didn't think I would, but I did. I, and I you got through it. Don't know how I'm going to get through next. No, <laughs> it's a real scrape. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to 48. Yeah, yeah, as, you, as you are. Yeah. Yeah. Even though we don't have Fred Fanning kicking goals for us anymore, I think it's still going to be okay. (laughs) Um, So, guys, thanks for tuning in, everyone. It's been a a pleasure, as always, bringing this to you. As we mentioned earlier, there's a few names that are popping up now that are well known across the board. Absolutely, we're, we're getting in that. We're, we're in that post World War Two era now, Charlie. Yeah, where all where the people, champions are. Yeah, where people know. Yeah, where the where the champion, the known champions yes. are. Yes, we've m- emerged from the mist. <laughs> uh, so, it is. Yeah, as always, been an absolute pleasure. And uh, please let um, let other people know about yeah. us. I mean, Spread everyone's. The word. I mean, in this time when you can't really do much, everyone's dying for content. Mm. So uh, we've got some, yeah, <laughs> at least fifty-one episodes yeah, worth. Exactly. So uh, yeah, spread spread it around and um, enjoy. Something, uh, it's something positive to spread around as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, as we said, when we're going back to a time when goals were actually being kicked in football, and it was a spectacle, mm. it was a good thing to say. And uh, let's just cross to Big Red for the uh, the roundup as well. Oh yes. Big Red's local footy roundup for your state and suburban football action, sinking our teeth into grassroots football. G'day, Kick Team. Welcome to the roundup for the 1947 season of football from around this great country. First, we take a look at the Sandful, where in the 68th season of competition, we have West Adelaide winning their sixth club premiership and, as one of the oldest clubs uh, in the competition up to this point, have been starved of success. The grand final is the Bloods' first top honours in 20 years. The grand final was played between West Adelaide and the Norwood Football Club in front of 33,000 fans at the Adelaide Oval. 
West Adelaide were led well by Sandful star Foss Williams, who had really strengthened the Bloods lineup for the three seasons that he played for them. Unfortunately for West Adelaide, Foss eventually signed with Port Adelaide as their captain coach and will go on to become a legend of the Sandful football and Australian football in general. Uh, a move that will haunt the Bloods all the way through the 50s. So more to come with Foss Williams. The Ken Farmer Award for the Sandfuls leading goal scorer was uh, won by Bob McLean from Port Adelaide with 80 goals for the season. Bob's 80 goals in the 1947 season was a quality total for a player that spent most of his time playing in the ruck and only occasionally resting in the forward line. So a tremendous uh, achievement kicking 80 goals there. The McGarry Medal winner... Uh, for the season was Bob Hank from West Torrens, securing back-to-back -back medal wins in only his fourth season of Sandful football. And while we won't hear much more from Bob Hank on an individual uh, level, it's important to mention that he had a really storied career for West Torrens, where he won premierships, best and fairest, uh, club captain, coached the team, played many state games for South Australia. He also made All-Australian selection, uh, and he was inducted into the Australian Football Hall of Fame in 1999 uh, as a result of his wonderful achievements and efforts in the Sandful Football League. Over in the Waffle, where we, they head into the 63rd season of competition and South Fremantle have broken a 30-year premiership drought by beating West Perth by 15 points at Subiaco Oval. The straight-kicking side uh, of South Fremantle in extremely windy conditions helped guide them to victory and were led by forward-line spearhead Bernie Naylor, um, kicking four goals for the side on the day, causing the West Perth defenders many headaches in the process. The final scores for the game were 13-8-86 to 9-17-71, so quite inaccurate kicking there by the West Perth side. The game was somewhat marred by the collapse of the grandstand under the pressure of the crowd that was gathering on it. The falling bricks damaged many cars and a woman narrowly missed being killed, having only moved metres away from her car before it was squashed under a tonne of bricks. Extraordinary. The 1947 grand final win to South Fremantle is the beginning of a dynasty that will see the team remembered through Australian football history. So a little bit more to come from them in the future roundups. Our leading waffle goal kicker for the season was South Fremantle forward Bernie Naylor with 108 goals for the season. Uh, a slightly modest total compared to his 131 goals in the previous year. The Sandover medal was won by Clive Lewington from South Fremantle, who was a hard in-and-under sentiment for his South Fremantle side. Clive's win solidifies a dominant 1947 season for South Fremantle with premierships, competition-leading goal kicker and Sandover medalists all in their lineup. Over to the VFA, and in the 66th season of competition, Port Melbourne have picked up their sixth premiership, beating competition newcomer Sandringham by 29 points at the St Kilda Cricket Ground in front of 24,000 fans. Unfortunately for Sandringham, they'd played their grand final the week before in the preliminary final against Williamstown. And for the second consecutive season, Sandringham had to overcome a large three-quarter time deficit to beat Williamstown in the preliminary final. Sandringham trailed by 31 points at three-quarter time before kicking seven goals to two in the final quarter to win the game by three points. And in the corresponding game in 1946, Williamstown had led by 40 points at three-quarter time. Uh, so really uh, quite a couple of years there where Sandringham have come from a long way behind at three-quarter time to make it into grand finals. Uh, but unfortunately for Sandringham, they, their players really ran out of zing on grand final day uh, the following week. 
1947, the association introduced a free kick for kicking in danger. So that is kicking recklessly at the ball where there is a strong risk of kicking an opponent player in the process, even if no contact is made with the opposing player. So no such provisions existed under the ANFC rules until at least a decade later. And for those of us uh, familiar with the AFL uh, rules now across our country, this is a rule that still stands today. So 1947 VFA were the first people to introduce it. The association's leading goal kicker was Bill Finlay from Port Melbourne, who kicked 100 goals in the home and away season and 107 goals overall. Douglas from Brighton Football Club uh, finished level with Finlay on 100 goals at the end of the home and away season, but unfortunately for him, he did not participate in finals. The JJ Liston medal for the association's best player was won by Stan Tomlins from Sandringham, who polled 48 votes in his win. Over in the VAFA, where Uni Blacks just keep on picking up premierships about as easily as my old man picks up the Saturday newspaper. And down in Tassie, North Hobart, North Launceston and Olverson get premiership honours. And finally, Golden Point win their seventh premiership in the Ballarat Football League. And with that, we wrap up the roundup for the 1947 season. Until next time, kick straight. Um... So until 48, uh, hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.